Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19. As I've mentioned several times, people ask us, how are Mormons saved? How do you witness to them? And again, we give the answer of the Bible. We give them the gospel. We give them God's word. That is what transforms their life. And Acts chapter 19 really has verified that in my life and verified that in Lloyd Larkin's life as well. If you look down at Acts 19, verse 20, it's a short verse, but it's a very powerful verse. It says, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. While we were living in Salt Lake City, I read, I read this, this chapter from my quiet time one morning, and I came across verse 20. And I thought, wow, that's a very short verse, but Luke really says something, pretty, a pretty strong statement here. What's he talking about? What happened that Luke can make such a bold statement that God's word is growing and prevailing mightily? I started going back through the chapter again and realized in verse 1 of chapter 19 that this event happens in the city of Ephesus. Lloyd Larkin, when he was my age, was challenged of how he would do ministry in a place like Utah where it is dominated by one religion. And when he began to study God's word to see how exactly he would approach a place like Salt Lake City, he began to study the book of Acts. And he began to study specifically chapter 18 and chapter 19. And he began to study the city of Ephesus. And as he studied Ephesus, he began to realize that Ephesus was a place that was dominated as well by one religion, the cult of Diana. It was a very powerful religion at that time. And as he studied the cult of Diana in Ephesus, he found about 35 to 40 parallels between the city, the cult, and between Mormonism and Salt Lake City. And as he began to study over and over again, he realized these are almost identical things, that the cults were very similar, the cities were very similar. And he thought, okay, well, how did Paul approach a city that was dominated by one religion? What did he do? And as he read these chapters, he realized that Paul went in with the word of God. And when Paul went in with the word of God, Luke then says in verse 20, God's word prevailed. Paul didn't change his approach. In the chapter 18, we see Paul had just left Athens in chapter 17, came to Corinth in 18, went on to Sancria, and then went to Ephesus. He didn't stay long his first, first time. He said, if God wills, I will come back. God will for him to go back to Ephesus. He comes back, and we see here in chapter 19, Paul did not change his approach. He went into Corinth with the word of God, Sancria with the word of God, and now he comes to Ephesus, a place that was known for being dominated by this cult of Diana. Yet Paul did not change his approach. He continued with the word of God. He was confident that what God's word was the power that God had given to him. And in verse 20, we see that the God's word prevailed. This evening, we'll look at just at two verses, verses uh, three, sorry, three verses, verses 8 through 10. And it shows us exactly what happened so that Luke could say God's word prevailed. Before we look at these verses, though, I'll kind of give you some of these similarities to show you just how similar the cult of Diana and Mormonism truly are, how close they really are to each other. The cult of Diana was known for having its temple. The temple there in Ephesus was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was in a magnificent place. Mormons are known for their temples. We have a, a, a book there on, the, on our display. It shows, shows you their different temples all around the world. They have about 136 temples. They are known for their temple worship as well. The cult of Diana had a month-long celebration of Diana. The entire month was set apart to celebrate her. Mormons set aside the month of July 
as a celebration of Mormon pioneers. It's, they call it the Days of 47. The entire month is set aside to honor and to remember the pioneers that came across the plains and, and the Rocky Mountains and then down into the Salt Lake City area. The whole month is set aside for that. The story of the cult of Diana began by a statue falling from heaven into what they called the sacred grove. Mormonism began by God the Father and God the Son, Joseph Smith said, visiting him in the sacred grove in upstate New York. The cult of Diana was a financial empire. Part of the temple there in Ephesus was a bank. Mormons are known for having a financial empire. Most people estimate they have about $50 billion in their bank accounts today. The Mormon church has spent about $1.5 billion renovating downtown Salt Lake City out of their excess money fund. Wouldn't it be nice to have that much money laying around? They do. They have billions of dollars. And they're, they're a financial empire similar to the cult of Diana. The cult of, uh, cult of Diana worshipers believe that they could become gods someday of their own planets. As we saw this morning, Mormons believe the exact same thing. They believe Mormon men can attain godhood of their own planet. Ephesian coins featured honeybees, which showed for themselves industriousness. Utah is the beehive state. As you go into Utah, you will see beehives all over the state highway signs over the, on the police cars. The Joseph Smith Memorial Building right next to Temple Square has a massive beehive on top of it. The Brigham Young Home right there by Temple Square as well is the beehive house. The temple there in Ephesus was known for its choirs. How many of you have heard of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? The most famous choir throughout the entire world. The, cult of the, or the city of Ephesus built a 20,000 seat auditorium for civic and religious events. The Mormon church prior to the 2002 Olympic Games built a 20,000 seat auditorium, almost a replica of the, of the auditorium there in Ephesus. And they built it as well for civic and religious events. The city center of Ephesus was the temple. What is the city center of Salt Lake City? Temple Square. You can never be lost in Salt Lake City. You always get back to the temple. This last one I'll share with you this evening was the one that really caught my attention when Lloyd Larkin shared it with me. The cult of Diana ceased worship about 300 A.D. The Mormon church teaches that an apostasy happened at that exact same time. And that truth was not brought back into the world until Joseph Smith brought it back in 1830. A lot of similarities, right? These are about 10 of them. They're about 35 to 40 that show that the cult of Diana and, and Ephesus are very, very similar to Salt Lake City and Mormonism. And what Lloyd Larkin says all the time is that there is nothing new under the sun. Now, Satan has tried this once under the name of the cult of Diana. God prevailed over it. And you and I, we know the rest of the story. God will prevail. And, God, and as Paul went into this city, he went in with the word of God. And that challenged Lloyd Larkin when he was my age, that if Paul could go into a city like that, dominated by one religion, he could as well. And Laura and I are confident in that as well. That as we go to Utah, we don't change the message. We don't come up with new, some new approach. Because if we did, who would receive the glory? We would. Because we made a new approach to it. But ultimately, God should receive the glory because it is his word that is transforming lives there. If you look at, with me at verse 8, we'll read down through verse 10. It says, And he went into the synagogue 
and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. He went in with the word of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. We'll see quickly two ways in these three verses in which the word of God prevails. And the first way it prevails in, that, in, that, in verse 9 is it prevails in the lives, it prevails in, in the lives of those who do believe. Verse 8, we see Paul, as he typically did, he goes into the synagogue. He goes in again sharing the word of God as he did in every other city. In verse, in verse 9 there we see that some of them do harden themselves to what Paul is teaching. As, as people always do, as, as we share the message of the gospel, there are those who do harden themselves. The exact same thing happens as Paul enters the synagogue. Some of them do harden themselves. They speak evil of the way, as Luke says there. And so Paul leaves them. But who does Paul take with him? Luke says he takes with him some disciples. Those who, as the gospel was given to them, did believe. As God's word was given to them, it penetrated their their spiritual lives and it prevailed over them. And their eternal life was changed. These were people who grew up as Jewish people here in the synagogue, but who are surrounded by this cult of Diana, which absolutely dominated this city. Later on through, through chapter 19, we see that the town clerk makes the blanket statement, well, if you live here in Ephesus, you belong to the cult of Diana. These men and women here in this city were surrounded by one major cult. That's what they knew. That's what they, that's what they would have grown up with. But when Paul brought the word of God, God's word prevailed in their life. Now, what comes to mind when you think of the word prevail? I think of, of wrestling, right? Two guys, two forces wrestling each other. And one will ultimately prevail over the other. And isn't it true, though, when the word of God came to your life for the very first time, there is a, a, a wrestling. There is a desire not to give up the flesh. Because we are, we are born with that nature. But when God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit penetrates our lives, his word prevails in our lives. It's an incredible thing. The power of the gospel through the word of God. And as Paul entered this synagogue here in Ephesus, as the word of God was shared, yes, some did harden their hearts. But the absolutely incredible thing is that the word of God prevailed in some of their lives. Paul is able to take away with them a group of new disciples of Christ. An incredible thing. God's word prevailed in their life. It's so reminiscent of, of what we saw God doing in Jake's life. That as Jake read the word of God with no one with him, the Holy Spirit used the word of God to prevail over his spiritual life. It changed him from the inside out. And in the lives of these believers here in Ephesus, the exact same thing happened. It prevailed in the lives of those who did believe. But the second way it prevailed is it prevailed in the changed lifestyle of those who believe as well. We see that in verse, in verse 9 and 10. One of the neatest things to observe in a, in a new Christian's life is to see how God's word changes them. As we were with Jake and Teresa week after week after week, they would say, I read this in God's word this week and I will change my life to match that. It was incredible to see 
their young obedience to Christ. There was no restriction. They say, if God's word says it, we are undoubtedly going to believe it. He's changed us. We will believe it. It's so encouraging to see that in a new believer. But shouldn't that be happening constantly in our life? As God, it's the power of the Holy Spirit and through his gospel continues to change our life, we should be obedient to what he is teaching us. But it's neat to see as God's word, especially in a new believer, how it changes their life. From the inside out. And that's exactly what happens to these new believers here in Ephesus. I see it happening three ways that the Word of God prevails in their change of life. And the first way it prevails is in their change of their daily schedule. In verse 9 there, it says that, that Paul takes this, these new disciples and they're now, they're now studying with him in this hall of Tyrannus. Their spiritual life was changed. But now that they have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, they have a desire to study the Word of God. They want more and more and more of it. And so Paul is now taking time to disciple these new Christians. He's taken to this hall and teaching their, their, their lifestyle changes. They now want to be able to study the Word of God. You know, before someone comes to know Christ as an unbeliever, do they want the Word of God? They don't. Right? Because it points out their sinfulness. But as a new believer, as a believer, the Word of God, we should want it because it changes our life day by day by day. And that's exactly what happens with these new believers here in Ephesus. Paul takes them away from those who have hardened themselves, but he is there teaching them more and more of the Word of God. The second way it changes, it prevails in their desire to give up comfort in order to study the Word of God. Verse 9 is, I've read many commentaries on it, and most commentaries agree that the time that Paul would have been open to use this Hall of Tyrannus was was from about 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., the hottest part of the day. Culture in that day was for these schools that this Tyrannus would have had, would have been to have school in the morning, and then in the evening, the cooler part of the days, and the time that this this Hall would have been open for, for Paul, would have been during that 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. time of the day, the hottest part of the day. You know, growing up in Peru, people t- still take siestas. They go to work in the morning, take a break, then go back in the evening because it's cooler. And most commentators agree that this is exactly what Paul would have done. This, this school would have been open to him during this hottest part of the day. Yet these new believers, they wanted to hear the word of God. And the heat of the day was not going to keep them from studying from Paul. Culture in that time told them, go take a break, take, take your siesta of, of, of sorts. But these believers would, would have said, no, God's word changed my life and the heat of the day is not going to keep me from going and studying from Paul and from God's word. Their changed lifestyle and allowed them to then give up the comforts that they were accustomed to during that time. The third way we see their, life, they see their lifestyle change is it changes and that they are now the ones taking the gospel to those around them. Verse 10 says that, that Paul was there for, with them, teaching them for two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard of the word of the Lord Jesus. Could Paul have been the one who was constantly going throughout Asia and giving the word of God? I don't think so. It's probably physically impossible for him to go to all these different areas. So who was it that was telling these surrounding areas in Asia about the Word of God? I believe it was these new believers. 
You know, what was Paul's approach? What did he tell Timothy in his life? I taught you so that you can teach some other faithful man who will teach someone else as well. Right? Paul realized that he could not do everything on his own. But if he taught others, they could then be and go and dispersed to spread the gospel. And I believe that these new believers, as they sat under the teaching of the word of God, it changed their life. So they were then dispersed all throughout Asia, throughout their city, preaching and teaching the gospel. And Asia was undoubtedly changed by that message. But the amazing part, though, is those last four words in verse 10. Both Jews and Greeks were hearing the word of God. Where did Paul go to first in in Ephesus? The synagogue. Filled with Jewish people. But when you read the book of Ephesians, what kind of congregation is Paul writing to? A predominantly Gentile church. As these new Jewish believers, their life was changed, their lifestyle was changed. But as the gospel penetrated their life and changed their life, they were now giving the gospel to anyone who would hear it, whether they be Jew or Greek. No longer was there a barrier saying, you know what, they are this, I'm this, as Jewish people were always hesitant to go to other people. The gospel had changed these people's lives from the inside out. And no longer was there a barrier between Jew and Gentile. They were giving the gospel to whoever would hear it. And the city of Ephesus was changed. Now Gentiles were coming into this church. And as Paul writes to the Ephesian uh, church there, he's saying, you are no longer two. You are one, built into the body of Christ. The obedience of these new believers showed them that the gospel was to go to all people. And they obeyed the word of God. An incredible thing. To see how God penetrated their lives through his word. But their lifestyle changed to match what God was doing on their inside. It's a rebuke to us, right? To see how new believers, they said the word of God says this, we will change our lifestyle to fit it. Now, I've been saved for over two decades. But I trust that as I read God's word, it does change me every single day. I have not attained perfection, right? God's word still should still change me. For those of you who have believed for a long time, as you read the word of God, it should still continue to change your life. God's word is powerful. It can prevail. Because of time, we will not read verses 11 through 19, but an incredible event happens there in Ephesus, and the word of God continues to grow. So starting in verse 8, down through verse 19, God uses his word in an incredible way. So much so that verse 20, Luke can say, that so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. It was not some new tactical approach by Paul. He realized that God's word was the means of salvation. He knew what the city was like. He trusted in God's word as the power of salvation. As we head to Salt Lake City, a city that is very familiar to Ephesus, it's the exact same confidence we have. We aren't trusting in our own words of persuasion. It won't work. We aren't perfect in the way we present things. But what we present is Christ crucified, but risen again, the gospel. As we go to a place like Salt Lake City, we've seen what God has done in Ephesus. And we are certain that God can do the exact same thing in Salt Lake City. But it can work in Iowa as well. As you give the word of God, as you give the gospel, 
it can prevail. And that is what we trust. And as God has changed our life, he can change the lives of those that we come in contact with as well. Let's pray together. Our God, we're thankful to you for your word, Lord, for your gospel. It has changed our life. I thank you in my own personal life, Lord, that though I grew up in in a Christian home, that that did not make me automatically a Christian. That I was a sinner to the worst degree in your eyes. But Lord, by your grace and by your mercy, you changed me. You made me a new creature. And I thank you for your gospel's power in my life. I thank you for those in this room as well this evening whose whose your gospel has changed their life as well. But Lord, may all of us recognize that there are people around us here in Utah and all around the world who need Christ. But Lord, we know what can change their life, and that is your gospel. Lord, I pray as we see these, these young believers here in Ephesus, as you change their life from the inside out, Lord, that they were then giving the gospel to whoever they came in contact with. And you were doing great thanks to your word, so that ultimately you alone were glorified. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for the way you've changed our lives. I pray that we would be obedient to you in the Great Commission and giving the gospel to those that we come in contact with. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.